Has anybody, uh, anybody ever seen the movie White Christmas? Let's have a show of hands. Let's see. We're going to be pretty close to unanimous. Okay. Did you know that the song White Christmas is actually believed to be the most popular Christmas song of all time? Uh, you know, they, the way they track that, sales and all that has changed, but it's believed to be the most popular Christmas song of all time. And five years after it was originally recorded, Bing Crosby actually had to go back to the studio and re-record it because the master copy that they made all the recordings from was actually worn out. They had to go and re-record it. Not bad. I'm thinking he did okay with it. I have an emotional attachment to it because it's my mom's favorite movie, and it is the most boring movie I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. If you know the song, okay, let's just play it back in your mind. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. No one's going to join along. Okay. (laughs) Think about it. It's kind of a boring song. It really is kind of a lullaby. And yet, an entire generation of Americans had an emotional attachment to it that made it the most popular Christmas song of all time. And there were things happening in the world at the time when it was recorded. Of course, World War II was on, and that was affecting everyone in America, not just the people who were overseas in combat. Uh, But there was an emotional attachment to it, and the song is not that entertaining. But people understood the ideal of a white Christmas where everything is okay and everything is peaceful. And that's what I learned. That ideal is what I learned in 2008, and it meant so much to me. I'm hoping that today, the Christmas story will be a little bit of a a fresh snow for you. Uh, If there are things in your life that are just a little bit of a mess, a little bit uncertain, uh, maybe some mistakes that got you to a place that you don't want to be, I'm hopeful that the Christmas story will be a little bit of just a fresh white blanket of snow. The first Christmas initiated as God's response to the mess that was happening in people's lives. Now, the world was was in trouble. It was an ugly place. But his response was to give them the first image of a white Christmas. So at the time of a guy named Isaiah, we're about 700 years before the birth of Christ. So we're we're way back. And the the world was a mess, particularly for... God's people, the nation of Israel. Uh, They were living in in captivity. They were oppressed. They were very much weakened and impoverished. But more importantly, see if this rings a bell for you, a lot of their mess was self-imposed mess. Uh, I don't know if that ever happens to you, but my observation has been most of us are pretty good at blaming other people for our mess, but a lot of it is the result of a sequence of bad decisions. Hopefully that's just me, but I don't think it is. I think that's probably something we can all kind of, kind of relate to. Here's the thing. We make mistakes. We make dumb decisions. Uh, that's, that's step one. We've all done that. And we could learn from those dumb decisions, and we could learn from those mistakes if we weren't too busy trying to deny them. You know what I mean? If I spent less time trying to blame someone else or figure out why that wasn't a mistake... I could actually probably learn something from those mistakes and from those decisions. That's where God's people, Israel, were. They just continued to live as if there was no God, just going around this cycle of destruction, uh, trying to justify themselves. And God describes their condition in Isaiah chapter 1. Check this out. Verse 2 says, Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, and a donkey recognizes its master. 
But Israel does not know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with the burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. That's kind of a mouthful. None of it is particularly good. But I think Romans 1.25 actually says it a little more succinctly. And it's talking really about, uh, about everyone. And it says effectively this. It says that we all have a tendency to prefer created things over the creator of all things. That makes sense? We all have a tendency to prefer the things that God has created instead of him. We exchange the truth about God for the lie that other things are more important than him. That's pretty easy to understand because all of us have had this experience. I probably shouldn't do this. This isn't the wisest thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. All of us have had the experience where we feel like our conscience uh, and God is speaking to us, go this direction, and we say, nah, no thanks, I'm going to go this way instead. We've all, we've all made that mistake, something that, something that all of us have done. Well, the decision to go our own way has negative consequences, right? You ever suffered the consequences of your own indiscretion? But one of the worst of them is just the simple burden of guilt. Like just the feeling of feeling guilty, feeling like I messed up, I've made a bad decision. Sometimes that can be the worst. It can dictate our behavior. Um, it's, like, it's like this. Uh, Christmas break is coming, and if you have kids that will be home from school, um, you're feeling the burden of that. But there was, a, uh, there was a mom who had her kids home from school, and little Johnny was just like a slug on the couch staring at the screen, and she was trying to get him to get active and do something, but he just refused And so finally she said, why don't you get up and do something? And he said, well, with you and Jesus and Santa watching me all the time, I can't do anything right. I feel like I'm never good enough. That's what the burden of guilt does. It dictates our behavior, and sometimes just for no reason. And that's how we know we're not living God's plan A for our lives. When we feel like we can't do anything good enough. When we feel like... I'm just never going to measure up to what God wants me to be, so I'm just going to go my own way. Uh, A lot of people give up and go that direction, and that's exactly where Israel is. So here's the thing about this burden of guilt. Have you ever noticed that guilt can ruin any situation? Have you ever found yourself feeling guilty, even though you know I shouldn't feel guilty about this? Like, first day of school, mom rolls up, kids jump out, and she notices that all the other kids seemed to have this one particular type of mini backpack, and she got the wrong one. And she feels guilty, because I picked the wrong backpack. You know, is a backpack worth feeling guilty over? Probably not. Nonetheless, it's easy to feel guilty about something that's pretty inconsequential. Or wife says, hey, my friend so-and-so got a new car. Husband feels guilty about the fact that his wife has an old car. Never mind the fact that only a fraction of the people in the world have any kind of a car. But sometimes we just feel guilty about things that, that we just shouldn't, that there's no real reason for us to feel guilty. This one happened to me uh, recently. I had a friend who had a birthday, and I forgot about it. Now, we've been good friends, uh, but we haven't seen each other. He lives in a different city now. And I forgot about it until like a couple days later. And then I was like, eh, it's probably no big deal. I'm not going to worry about it, you know, because guys aren't that sentimental. And then my birthday came around, and he didn't forget, and I got a card in the mail, and it had a gift card in it, and I didn't even want the stupid gift card because I felt so guilty about forgetting his birthday. 
Should I have felt guilty about that? Probably not. I don't think he was upset about it. I mean, he sent me a gift on my birthday party, so apparently, on my birthday, so apparently we're still friends, but I felt guilty. I didn't even enjoy the gift card. You ever watch the news and see a story about some war-torn country and these people who live there and what their life is like and feel guilty about the fact that you're safe and warm and well-fed? Is there anything you could do to change that situation? No, but we carry this, this burden of guilt for, for no reason, things that have nothing to do with us. And God said of his people that they're sinful and they're loaded down with the burden of guilt. Well, we too sometimes operate from a position of guilt and it makes us do some pretty crazy things. Now, many people, including Christians, sometimes do things or we have this perception that, that God is really interested in assigning guilt. You ever think that way about God? I better not do that or he'll punish me. I had a friend who was in the process of building a house one time, and uh, I don't remember what we were talking about, but he said this phrase. He said, well, I better not do that because if I do, God probably won't bless me. And I thought that might be true if God's blessing depended on, depended on your behavior, if God's blessing was dependent on you. Sometimes that position of guilt will make us do crazy things. I heard about these two brothers uh, younger, younger guys, like grade school age, who were just the, those kids, right? You know those kids that are always in trouble? You have those kids in your neighborhood? They're always like, they're running through everyone's yard. Like the other day, our, our son Ezra invited two kids to go to his school in, uh, into our house. He's like, hey, can you know, so-and-so come in? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then they just like proceeded to do a self-guided tour through every room in my house. And I was like, what is happening? So I, that's the picture I have in mind. I'm thinking of those two kids, but these two little brothers were just always in trouble, and the parents were just frustrated, and so they decided, well, maybe we can have them meet with the, our priest, their Catholic family, and, and he can talk to them and, and hopefully help straighten them, out, straighten them out. So the priest decides, okay, well, I'm going to meet with them individually, and uh, he takes the compassionate approach. Like, well, basically, what he wants to share with them is that, you know... Uh, God has a plan for you, and it's something better than this. So he starts by asking the younger brother the question, where is God? No, no answer. Do you know where God is? And the brother jumps up and runs out of the church. He runs home, and he goes to his older brother, and he says, God's missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> That's a guilty conscience. It makes us do crazy things sometimes. That's a misunderstanding of simply who God is. So here's the thing that I really want you to know. God's plan A isn't to assign guilt. God's plan A is restoration. It's to move forward from where you are. That's what we see in the biblical narrative. God's not interested in dwelling on the problem, but rather he's interested in providing solutions to our brokenness. In Isaiah verse, chapter 1, verse 48, he prophetically reveals his intention. Now, he just said... My people are a sinful people, and they're loaded down with guilt. But, but then he says in verse 18, come now, let us settle this. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. That's a pretty easy word picture. If you've ever had white carpet in your house, what's the worst kind of stain? Like red wine, red sauce of some kind. I mean, if it's red, it's there. And he says, though your sins are this deep, they're, they're white, I will make them white as snow. Are they guilty? Yes. He just said, the children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. 
But is he fixated on their guilt? No. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. So how's he going to do that? Well, through Isaiah, uh, he reveals a promise of a new start through the coming Savior. As Isaiah 9, 2, it says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the promise is a baby. Now, we have the benefit of retrospect. We can kind of see the whole story. Later on, Jesus is born. But just think where they're at. They're in this... this, They're in captivity, they're living in this occupied, exiled situation, and the promise is, I'm going to send a baby. That doesn't sound that helpful to me, I'm not going to lie. Maybe that just makes me way less spiritual than the rest of you. Um, But my experience, having had three babies live in my household, is that they actually don't contribute that much. Uh, Some of you have babies right now, and you're like, preach. Uh, I I know where you're at, But, but here's how it plays out. 700 years go by. The people wait for this sign, whatever it is, and then one night in an anonymous field, Luke 2 happens. If you've ever seen Charlie Brown, you're probably familiar with this. Verse 8 says, that night they were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. It's the most common directive given in the Bible. 150 times God says, don't be afraid or fear not, some variation of that phrase. Don't be afraid, the angel said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The Savior has come. Hebrews 9.14 says that the blood of Christ purifies our consciences so that we can know and follow the living God. Now, think about the implications of this. If Jesus has paid the bill in full for your sins and washed away sin's stain, what should that do to your conscience? Should guilt be a part of your life at that point? If Jesus has paid the bill in full, guilt no longer has a home with you. Not because you aren't guilty. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but because Jesus has restored you. He has removed the stain. Okay, now that's all really lofty. Uh, That's all really great spiritual high-level stuff, but let's just keep it real, okay? Let's just get to to grassroots. If you think about why someone might feel guilty, uh, for the most part, there's really only two main reasons why someone might feel guilty. Uh, The first of which is pretty easy because they actually are guilty. Uh, If you are guilty, you might feel guilty. That makes sense. Here's the good thing. God doesn't do guilt. We don't don't see that in the biblical narrative. What God does do is conviction and course correction. Guilt says, I'm terrible and worthless. Conviction says, I need to ask God's forgiveness and then turn and go his way. That's the point of Jesus coming. That's the point of repentance. So one reason you might feel guilty is if you actually are guilty, and there's an easy solution to that. We, we repent. We turn and go God's way instead. But if you're not actually guilty, there's another possibility that, uh, that probably is a little bit darker, actually. Another reason that people often feel guilty is because 
sometimes we don't think we deserve God's grace. Sometimes we don't feel like we deserve to be forgiven. Sometimes we don't feel like I deserve to be warm and safe and well-fed when there's other people in the world who are suffering. Sometimes I don't think I deserve God's favor in my life. Sometimes we don't think we deserve for good things to happen. Uh, you might need a therapist to dig down deep enough to get to that point, uh, but that's, that's a real thing. We don't think we deserve it. We don't think we're worthy, so we feel guilty. Now, here's the deal, okay? This is, this is a, a big life changer for me, and so I want to make sure that we just get our head around it. We're kind of at that big idea stage. Uh, there's a good chance that you don't deserve God's favor. That's pretty much across the board. On the basis of our actions, we don't deserve it, just like the nation of Israel, they didn't deserve it. God just said, they have rebelled against me. On the basis of their actions, they didn't deserve it. But God's favor isn't given to you on the basis of your actions. If it was about earning it, we would have no chance. God's favor is given on the basis of his love, his grace, his mercy, his goodness. That's how we get it. We don't earn it. Christ earned it for us. So as the band is, is going to come up, we're going to sing a couple songs. I just want to make sure that we get a chance to let this really sink in. Uh, we all want to have a good life. We all want to be blessed by God. We all want to be provided for and protected. We all want God's best for our lives. And the reality is there have been many times when I've, I've known God was saying, do this, and I did my own thing instead. All of us can say that. We all have done things that we felt in our hearts we're wrong. We're not God's plan A for our lives. And if God's favor was given on the basis of my decisions, I certainly wouldn't deserve it. But that's not why God gives his favor. He gives it because Jesus has fully earned it for us. Did you notice back in Isaiah 1, right before God said the part about the people being sinful and loaded down with the burden of guilt, uh, he pointed to kind of what their fundamental mistake was. And I think if we can learn from this one line, uh, it can really help us uh, sort of redirect our perspective on Christmas. Verse 3 in Isaiah 1 said, My people don't recognize my care for them. They didn't recognize his care for them. That was their, that was their fundamental mistake. They didn't understand that God loved them deeply and actually had better things in mind for them than what they had for themselves. That God's plan A was actually better than their plan A. Their plan A had led them into captivity, into bondage, into a cycle that they hated. But God had a new plan for them. They just continued living like that, that little boy with the guilty conscience, you know, just round and round the cycle of, of guilt and destruction. But would it have been better if they would have turned to God sooner? Probably. Could have shared them, saved themselves a lot of heartache. So the big idea is this. On the basis of your actions, you might not be worthy. Me too. So we're all on the same level here. But God has said that you are worthy of being restored. You are the pinnacle of God's creation, made in his own image, worthy of being restored. And if we can just start with the place of knowing that God believes we're worth restoring, what a game changer that is. If you believe that Jesus died to pay the bill for your sin and reconcile you to God, then guilt no longer has a place in your life. That bill is paid in full. I'm going to ask you to stand with me.
I just want to make this one, this one last point that because of Jesus, if you receive Christ into your life, your conscience is white as snow. Uh, there are mistakes that you certainly can learn from in the past, but there is no reason for you to feel guilty because your debt has been paid. And we all know the feeling of waking up to that fresh blanket of snow, that white Christmas, when everything is peaceful and right with the world. I hope that you'll let the Christmas story be that for you. God said you were worth restoring. You were worth sending his son into the world for. He didn't just arbitrarily do that for mankind. He did that for his beloved creation. That includes you. Jess is going to lead us in a couple songs of uh, celebration. So I hope you'll let Christmas be reason for you to celebrate.